Welcome to Ohio Football Weekly as we roll into week number four of the 2022 high school football season, week number three of this program, Ohio Football Weekly. I'm Marty Bannister. We are so glad to have you with us here tonight as we once again talk all things surrounding high school football. We've got a big program coming up for you tonight. We will start things off with the guy who his website may be the most popular one during high school football season. That's Joe Idol, joeidol.com, who tabulates all the computer rankings and gets everybody placed in the polls and you find out where your team stands when you start looking at the top 16 as far as making the high school football playoffs are concerned. Joe Idle will visit with us here in a couple of moments. There's a huge football game in Central Ohio on Friday night. It's one of the more intense rivalries, certainly in this part of the state and I think it's fair to say perhaps across the entire state because of the talent involved, the closeness of the community, and the power of the two football programs. Pickerington North, Pickerington Central will meet on Friday night. Our friend Dave Perpura from This Week News will visit with us, and we'll also get Dave's thoughts on another interesting story surrounding high school athletics in Central Ohio, and that deals with the Mid-State League and the shakeup that's coming to that league. Second half hour of the program, we'll switch gears and go around the state of Ohio. Todd Walker from WIMA Radio, the longtime radio voice of the Bowling Green Falcons, will visit with us, and we'll talk about football in that part of the state, the Lima area, and that part of the northwestern region of the state of Ohio. There's a pretty good high school football played up there, and Todd will update us on how things look so far in high school football in that part of the state and then we'll wrap things up with the one the only Ryan Cavanaugh from Spectrum Sports in the second half hour of the program he'll talk about high school football in the Cleveland area so we'll do all that coming up for you tonight this is Ohio Football Weekly week number three of our podcast uh, things are going very well with this show we think we like the, the involvement we're getting from folks uh, we've, uh, I think, started to really make a dent and talk high school football. I don't know if too many of the programs around the state of Ohio, video podcasts or podcasts in their own right, that do this type of thing where we focus almost exclusively on high school football. Yes, we will occasionally dive into another topic that, I guess, in the long run comes back to high school football. But uh, for the most part, this is high school football related. We'd love to hear from you, get your reaction to it. We're on Yamo Media is where you'll find us, our Facebook page, Y-A-M-O Media, Yamo Media. And we'd love to hear your reaction and your comments to our program there or anywhere on Twitter. I'm at Marty Banner, so you can find me there. We'd love to hear from you there as well, too, and get your thoughts on this program. Adam Dell is our producer, and we're glad to have you with us tonight. We have a poll up, oh, by the way, on our Twitter page. It's, in fact, it's my Twitter page, at Marty Bannister. And we're asking you tonight, should Ohio athletes, or Ohio schools rather, allow high school student athletes to benefit from name, image, and likeness like the colleges do? That's been such a big part of what's going on in college athletics this year. And of course, if you remember back in the early part of the spring, uh, that was put up to vote around the state of Ohio, and it was rather soundly defeated. And in our poll that's up right now, although it's starting to, started to uh, get a little bit closer, uh, the two choices, yes, other states are doing it, and no, it's not a good idea. Right now, no has a lead that has started to dwindle a little bit. Uh, we're getting some interesting comments as well, too, from people who uh, have uh, some pretty serious thoughts about NIL for student-athletes. So that's, again, on our Twitter page, at my Twitter page, at Marty Bannister, and you can vote there as well, too. So we're just getting started tonight. So good to have you with us here on the program this evening. When we come back, we're going to find out how this guy gets done what he gets done. Joe Idle from joeidle.com will visit with us. We'll talk high school football computer rankings when we come back. Ohio Football Weekly on Yamo Media. We're back in a moment. Hello, I am Annie J. Ross Womack, the Executive Director of the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association. And I'm here to talk to the parents and student athletes about a very important topic. The NCAA has instituted 
different standards for all divisions of student athletes. Before you can play sports in any college or university, you must present a negative trait status or hemoglobin status documentation. Your hemoglobin status is taken at birth with the newborn screening. And what they do is they run your blood for any abnormality or any birth defect. There are thousands of newborn screening birth defects in this country. For more information about sickle cell disease, sickle cell trait testing, you can call our offices at 614-228-0157. Or you can visit us via web at ohiosicklecell.org. And welcome back to Ohio Football Weekly here on Yamo Media. We're with you for an hour each and every Wednesday talking high school football with you. We'll go around the state of Ohio. We'll take a look at the top 10 rankings across the state of Ohio. Some of the great performances from week number three of the high school football season. It's hard to believe that we're into week number four. NFL hasn't played a regular season game yet. Uh, the colleges are really just into week number See, I, I'm, I, I hate that week zero stuff that they throw at you that first week of the season. Uh, to me, this is week two of the college football season, not week or week. This will be week three of the college football season. Well, it gets too confusing if you do all that stuff. But uh, those colleges are still just down to uh, some are playing their second game. Uh, some will be playing their first game this week. And while the high schools, they're going into week number four. And this is where the computer rankings really start to become a factor as we look ahead to the state football playoffs, which start at the end of October. And as I mentioned, Joe Idle from JoeIdle.com is visiting with us here this evening on Ohio Football Weekly. Joe, always good to see you, my friend. And uh, We interviewed each other. I interviewed you last year. We, we talked about this. I guess the first question, whenever someone talks to you about this, how did you get into this, and what led you to become JoeIdle.com? <laughs> oh, wow. It's, uh, it's been a while now. So I, I, I kind of got into it. Uh, I started following the Harbin rankings back when I was in high school. You know, just kind of follow the local school team and the other county schools. Um, just kind of see if I could figure out where they would end up being ranked at the end of the year. So, um, and then, you know, after I graduated college, uh, I needed a, some sort of programming exercise to kind of keep me busy. And it seemed like a natural fit. So, um, I, you know, once I was able to f collect all the scores, uh, which is actually the, the more difficult piece. Uh, the Harbin formula is, uh, at least I feel, is pretty straightforward. Um, but yeah, once I had the scores um, I, and I was able to calculate the rankings, I just decided to start publishing them and it uh, uh, seemed like it kind of just took off from there. Are you surprised at the reaction you get uh, on Fridays, Saturdays? I guess this probably stretches even into Sundays for you as well, too. I would imagine your site gets quite a few hits, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it, it gets a, uh, still gets a good number of hits. Um, it's, I mean, it's still increasing a little bit each year, a certain percentage. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's kind of as the season goes, it peaks and valleys, like on Fridays and Saturdays and into Sundays it goes up and then towards in the middle of the week it goes down. And then with each new week it peaks a little higher and then until week 10 it just, uh, you know, it, I think it was 2.7 or 2.8 million views um, just on the – Friday and Saturday of week 10 last year. So, Have the views, Joe, and the hits, have they gone down at all since the field expanded to 16 schools per region? Um, no, it, it seems to. Uh, so I think the last time I had checked, uh, of course, the COVID year, uh, let's just throw that out. Right. Um, 
the 2019 or 2018, I think it was the last time I checked it for it. It was about 2 million uh, page views for that last two days. Uh, that's kind of like the peak time. Um, so, uh, yeah, so last year was about 2.8. So I'd say it's, it's continued to kind of slowly trend upward, um, probably as, you know, some people kind of continue to visit uh, over time and as well as new, new visitors, maybe some new parents of um, some players. Uh, maybe find out about the site and come to the, for the first time. Are you surprised at the way this has, I guess, taken off? Uh, you mentioned uh, when the Harbin ratings started. That was what was that? Was that 1972 when the state started to use the, the Harbin ratings? Uh, yeah, they ran a few trials, uh, I believe, in '71, and then it was officially approved for the '72 season. That's, yeah. Does uh, are you surprised at the way this has taken off? Um, the the just the, the site in general? Yes, I'm sorry, yeah, the site in general, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, a little bit. I, I initially probably thought it would be like a two to three year project. It wasn't really something I had a, a long-term vision. Um, but, you know, the feedback was a, a lot of positives uh, from you know, fans, coaches, sports writers and whatnot. Um, so, you know, I kind of made some adjustments to make sure I could preserve the history and, uh, you know, continue to show the past seasons as well as forward so yeah it was, it was a little surprising that uh, a that it took off and and b that it's kind of maintained that momentum <laughs> for what, like 23 years now i guess but um I, I can tell you from a broadcaster standpoint, your site is invaluable in going back in history and just finding out recent games and, and how teams fared against one another and division breakdowns and all of those things. Take us through a Friday for you, Joe. When do you start tabulating all of this? How long does it take? And how do you gather all the information that you gather? Yeah. So I, it's... Normally about 9 o'clock on a Friday night is when some of the first uh, scores start trickling in on Twitter. That's, that's usually where I get uh, probably, I'd say probably 95% or more of the scores. Um, I try to follow the school websites, you know, the athletic directors and the sports writers as well, um, just to kind of make sure I'm picking up the uh, most accurate set of scores possible. Um, so, yeah, it starts about 9 o'clock uh, with the first few finals, and I'll just keep, you know – there's a there's a general inflow of scores that uh, you know the finals keep trickling in uh, to the point where they're all the games pretty much final and I'm playing catch up um, and it usually takes me to um, probably around midnight sometimes 12:30 to get all the Friday uh, Friday evening scores keyed in. What about the weekends? How long does this process take to get everything final? I would imagine you're probably done sometime Sunday. Yep, so Saturday I try to keep up with the games as they go on. There are usually a few uh, early afternoon games, a few in the mid-afternoon, and a um, handful in the evening. So I'll usually try to update throughout the day as I'm watching you know, college football. Kind of <laughs> so, yeah, I, usually, uh, I can usually finish them up by Saturday night. Um, of course, these past uh, few weeks there was a, you know, there was a Sunday game uh, involving St. X down in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago. Uh, as well as um, there was a postponed game from Saturday night that ended up being played Saturday or Sunday uh, this week as well. Uh, I think uh, when we when we talked last year, Joe, I, I asked you if this is a, I guess for lack of a better term, a labor of love for you right now. You don't make any money off of this. You're not affiliated with the Ohio High School Athletic Association in a official regard. I mean, I know they fall on your rankings as well too, but this is something that 
Well, you obviously have to enjoy what you're doing uh, to keep doing this on a daily basis or a yearly basis for you. Uh, but is it fair to call it a labor of love for you? Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty fair, um, at, at least for the terms of the site itself, uh, keeping that running. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I, I do actually provide the rankings to the OHSA mm -hmm. now um, as well. Background. Um, but yeah, as far as keeping the site up and you know the schedules and scores, um, that's kind of been a labor of love. I'm hoping to expand that here um, soon with some more historical information. Well, talk talk about that. Well, what what else what else can you add? I mean, the, the history, the scores. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it, it's for me, like I said, uh, from a broadcaster standpoint, you're a great resource to go back and look at past games and past matchups and things along those lines. What else can you add to it? Sure. So uh, so I've been working uh, off and on for the past. Uh, probably 15 years now uh, of collecting some historical scores. Um, I'm pretty much back to at least, I believe, 1970 now. Um, wow. uh, in, in addition to scores, you know, I'm, I'm kind of planning on, uh, uh, I've got the coaching information as well for most of that same time range. I got a few holes I got to fill out still. Um, and as well as league and conference affiliations and, and, and things like that, as well as um, I kind of like to be able to kind of reproduce the Harbin rankings for those years, uh, just to see how, you know, if my data matches up uh, with what was, you know, official. Just um, that'll help me figure out if I have some reverse scores or something like that. So I can try to make it as accurate as possible from a historical perspective. How unique is what you do, Joe, to high school football across the country? Do other states do something similar? And have you been approached by other states to possibly take your system to another state? Um, no, and, and I mean, and I, I hesitate, it's not my system. I mean, it's, it's, it's my programming, but it's, it's the, you know, it's the Harbin system. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not really something that I would be um, involved in, I don't think, uh, with regards to other states. But um, the, I, I think there are, uh, some of the other states have, you know, they track their schedules and scores and things like that. And I know, um, uh, I don't know. Some of them have some sort of ranking system uh, that's not quite exactly like the Harbin system, but you know, mm -hmm. it's their own flavor. Uh, maybe in some cases it may have been inspired by it. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it's it's sort of unique, but um, I'm, I'm definitely aware of other sites like in Kentucky and uh, uh, Michigan, uh, Indiana that have also historical scores and, and coaches and things like that. So. I know, Joe, uh, and we'll, we'll wrap up our conversation on this, and you were right on the money when you said, let's just take 2020 and throw it out the window and forget about it. But everybody got <laughs> in the playoffs that year, and there has been that talk that, well, if we can do it in a year like that, then we can do it all together in Ohio, or we can do it every year in the state of Ohio. I, I personally don't agree with that. I, I like uh, 16, I think, per region is a very good number uh, for something like this, Joe, uh, when, you, when you talk about teams uh, into the postseason. Is this with a, a state this size with so many schools that play football Joe is this the best way to do it um I, I think yeah that's an interesting question so I, th I think it's definitely um a a very good way to do it um, and it's withstood the test of time if you think about it, it's been over 50 years now that the same general system's been in play um you know but uh, to your question about uh, should everybody get in or not, I mean, if you if you really look back from 1972 until now, um, 
you know, there's, there's always been change, right? There, you know, started out with one team per region and three divisions. Um, and then just kind of every so many years, it seems like either the number of divisions increases or the number of qualifiers per region increases. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's really kind of continued. Um, you know, I think we had eight teams per region from what, nine, 1999 until 2019. So about 21 years. So, so I, I think it's, it's probably likely that we'll see some more change in the future. I mean, that's just my guess. Um, but, you know, it may, it may be another 20 years or so. But uh, And we don't know what's going to happen or not happen with respect to eight-man football and, and things like that. That's a whole other can of worms. But, but, yeah, I think it's a good way to do it in terms of the objectivity of the system. Um, you know, it's it's kind of throws out the names on the jersey. Everybody gets the same amount of points based on the divisions of the schools you're beating. And, uh, things like that. So it takes some of the bias out. Uh, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Joe Idle, joeidle.com, the most popular website perhaps in the state of Ohio on high school football Fridays and Saturdays around the state. Joe, it's always good to spend some time with you. I thank you for jumping on with us here this evening and kind of giving folks an idea as to what you do and how you do it. And I know folks who follow high school football will be going to your website a lot as we close it on the state football playoffs. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate your time. All right. All right. Thanks, Marty. Thanks for having me. All right. Joe Idle from joeidle.com. And uh, personally, I don't know how he does it every week uh, and, and maintain a family life. <laughs> uh, more power to him. Uh, he does a great job with it, though. And uh, we thank him for spending some time with us here on Ohio Football Weekly. All right. Let's go around the state of Ohio now. Find out what happened as we go into week number four of the high school football season. Let's find out some of the things that happened in week number three around the state. There were some great performances last week. There were some big games last week around the state of Ohio. And that will be something uh, I think as we go down the season, you're going to see these uh, performances certainly increase as the season goes along. Some notes from around the state last week. Congratulations to Ontario, 3-0 on the season after defeating Mansfield-Madison by a couple of scores. Their defense, the big story in that game, and a double pass touchdown in the game as well, too, uh, propelled them to that start off to 3-0, defeating Mansfield-Madison. Also in the north central part of the state, Plymouth. How about this? 50-42. to They scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. Got a two-point conversion to tie the game. They're only averaging 42 points a game. So a uh, great start for that program. Ravenna with a win over Kent Roosevelt. Uh, certainly one of the biggest rivalries in the state of Ohio is Troy Pickwell, one of the more frequently played. Well, this one's right up there. 54-51-3 uh, is the lead in the series in favor of Ravenna, one of the longest played rivalries in the state of Ohio in high school football. Springfield Northeastern's Cade Hausman had a huge week last week. How about these numbers? 38-48, throwing the football, 385 yards, a touchdown pass, and he was picked off four times. 15 rushes, 84 yards, and then just for good measure, had 18 tackles in the game in the Jets' 21-20 overtime win over Greenview last week. Jace Hurd of Waverly, how about those numbers? 148 yards, a couple of touchdowns, toted the football 33 times through four games, 600, or through three games, 664 yards for Hurd and nine touchdowns. Those are uh, uh, immense numbers for that young man and a good program down there in Waverly in south uh, southern part of the state. In, in Pike County. Arlington, a 16-13 win over Liberty Benton. First time in 20 years they've won that rivalry game. Big night for Lucas Fenstermaker with 132 yards. We can talk to Todd Walker about that when he joins us here in a little bit. Liberty Benton missed a field goal on the game's last play that would have tied it and sent it into overtime. Southwest part of the state, West Virginia commit Jordan Jackson ran for 237 yards and a score in a win over Colerain, 34-7. The quarterback, Talon Fisher, 154 yards and three touchdowns in the victory last week for that team, Fairfield. A good win for them. Back to the southern part of the state. 
Piketon sophomore running back Buddy Wilson tied a state record, a 99-yard touchdown run in a loss to their big rival, Lucasville Valley. It ties 54 other players for runs of 99 yards, which again matches the longest in history of the state of Ohio. They only ran for 198 yards the rest of the night as well, too. Top seven as the first week of the Associated State Press polls are out. Division one, Lakewood St. Edward, 3-0, defending state champ. Knocked off Cherry Creek from Colorado last week, 13-9. They got a huge game this week with Cincinnati Elder, who also happens to be 3-0. Defending state champion Cincinnati Winton Woods, off to a 3-0 start. Beat West Claremont 54-14. They take on winless Cincinnati Turpin this week. Down to Division three, the Hilltoppers from Chardon, also defending state champions. Knocked off First Baptist Academy out of Florida last week in overtime. They play host to 2-1 Riverside in the game coming up this Friday night. Division four, the Tar Blooders from Glenville off to a 3-0 start, but they've been tested the last two weeks. A close win over Olentangy Liberty and then beating Avon 27-21. And they have a good uh, matchup this Friday with 2-1 John Marshall. The Ironton Fighting Tigers are out of the gate at 3-0. Their next four opponents, though, all have winning records right now. Last week, they beat Fairland 34-13. They played Johnson Central from across the river uh, from Ironton in the state of Kentucky. Division six, Maria Stein, Marion Local defending state champs back-to-back -back shutouts they've only allowed seven points this year through three games they knocked off Minster and they have a Midwest Athletic Conference game with Delphi St. John's awaiting them on Friday and rounding out things division seven undefeated Mechanicsburg is off to a 3-0 start they knocked off Madison Plains last week they got a, uh, they have a huge game coming up this Friday night when they take on South Charleston Southeastern an Ohio Heritage Conference rival who just happens to be right behind them in Joe Idol's rankings in the state of Ohio in the Division 7 high school football computer ranking. So that's what's coming up and what has happened over the last week in the state of Ohio. Well, that game's a rivalry game, certainly Mechanicsburg and Southeastern in that part of the state of Ohio. In the part, in central Ohio, there's a huge rivalry. And you look around this area, if you're not familiar with central Ohio high school football, uh, there are so many districts that have multiple schools. Dublin has three schools. Hilliard has three. Olentangy has four at last check. Westerville has three high schools. Pickerington has two high schools. And I don't know of, of all the school districts in the state, or certainly in central Ohio, has a school district produced the amount of talent that those two schools have? And every year when they get together, it is just simply a, a knockdown, drag out uh, high school football game. And they get each other this Friday night. We're going to take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we'll reconnect with our friend Dave Perpura and continue talking high school football. Ohio Football Weekly continues on Yamo Media. I mean, I don't totally know what opioids are, but. It doesn't happen here. Not in denial. No. No. Our kids are way too busy. My son is good friends. Don't live in denial, Ohio. Talk to your kids about drugs, and they'll be up to 50% less likely to use them. Hello, I am Annie J. Ross Womack, the Executive Director of the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association. And I'm here to talk to the parents and student athletes about a very important topic. The NCAA has instituted different standards for all divisions of student athletes. Before you can play sports in any college or university, you must present a negative trait status or hemoglobin status documentation. Your hemoglobin status is taken at birth with the newborn screening. And what they do is they run your blood for any abnormality or any birth defect. There are thousands of newborn screening birth defects in this country. For more information about sickle cell disease, sickle cell trait testing, you can call our offices at 614-228-0157. 
or you can visit us via web at ohiosicklecell.org. All right, welcome back to Ohio Football Weekly here on Yamo Media as we talk Ohio high school football all across the state of Ohio. Right now, our focus is Central Ohio. Before we took the time out, our friend Dave Perpura visits with us from This Week News. And Dave, we were talking about Pickering and North, Pickering and Central, and the amount of talent that year in and year out seems to come out of that district and the intensity of that rivalry. If you've never been a part of that game or called it, I've had a chance to do it a couple of times. It's a special night of football coming up Friday in Pickerington, isn't it? It is. Uh, you know, you have the uh, where Ohio State and Michigan overlap up around Toledo. I mean, that's one part of it. And then but, I mean, you know, like in a town like Pickerington, where I live, uh, where you have Central and North that, that come together. I mean, they're only you know, less than three miles apart. Uh, the, you know, there are families with kids that go to both schools. You see each other at the grocery store, uh, at restaurants and things like that. So, yes, it is a... Uh, it is a rivalry, an intensity, uh, I should say, like you said, Marty, unto itself. And it's a lot of fun. And I'm glad that the OCC many years ago relaxed the rules on these two schools playing each other. I think it was around 2008 uh, that they finally said, hey, if you're both in Worthington, you can play each other. If you're in Pickerington, you can play each other, et cetera. I, I think that has done nothing but be a good thing for these communities. And I know when the Ohio Capital Conference went through one of its Oh, I guess it, it seems like every 45 minutes that league's realigning and going to some sort of different setup mm -hmm. as far as divisions are concerned. Even though the two schools, Central and North, that were in the same division are now in different divisions, I'm glad they kept that game on the schedule. I know there was some talk that perhaps they wouldn't do it, but it's a good thing they kept it on the schedule, isn't it? Well, a part of that, I think, found its roots in a playoff game about five years ago at DeSales where there was a fight at the end, or at least there was a very good possibility or good possibility of a fight. But um, uh, what I was told is that the uh, the district wanted both schools to be in different divisions of the OCC. I mean, you can you increase the, the chances for athletes uh, here in the community to win league championships. But they did decide to keep this as one of those, I don't know about permanent crossovers, but certainly one of those rivalries that's going to be played every year, which the OCC does to, to uh, help these schools schedule uh, teams in weeks four and five. But uh, Central and North are going to find a way to play each other every year. And the other aspect of this game, Dave, is the amount of talent that almost every year walks onto the field when these two teams get together. Certainly Pickering and Central has had the upper hand over the last few years. Uh, Jay Sherrod's done a great job of that program, and Nate Hillerich has done a great job of that North program. But the amount of talent that walks on the field for that game every Friday night or any game that those two schools play in, it's really remarkable the way mm -hmm. that they have developed those programs, isn't it? And they, they have. I mean, and this is this is not a new thing. You know, it's going back 20, 25 years or so uh, to people that are now coaching uh, in the NFL, like uh, Shane Bowen for the Titans. He came from here in Pickerington. He went to the original high school. Uh, more recently, obviously, you know, you've had guys go to the NFL. Pat Elfline certainly is, is one of them who stands out. Um, I don't think anybody here in town would be surprised if either or both of Lorenzo and Sonny Styles might end up in the NFL one day. Uh, Jay Sean Tate in the NBA. Uh, Jalen Tate in, in, in high college. Karis LeVert in the NBA. I mean, you can name uh, pretty much any sport. Uh, and, and it's really a testament to how these leagues out here develop talent. And then they go up to the good coaching at both high schools. Jay Sherritt, Nate Hillerich. The way that they they develop talent. I mean, their, their track record certainly speak for themselves. And, and it, uh, it's something a lot of people want to be a part of. So they want to come out to this community and, and – uh, and play and, and get better and probably get pretty big opportunities. Uh, I know some of the other area communities, Dave, 
that play, they have these intra-district or have more than one school in, in their districts. Uh, for example, another big one on Friday night, Dublin Kaufman plays Dublin Jerome on Friday night. That's a big mm -hmm. rivalry game. Uh, but sometimes all the schools won't play each other. I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Scioto plays Kaufman. Uh, on a yearly basis, maybe every other year or something mm -hmm. along those lines, but they don't play every year. And again, I think the community loses in that situation. I think those games should be played. I understand why some school districts don't want to do that, but all three Hilliard schools play one another. And if I'm not mistaken, Dave, do all four Owen Tangies play each other? Or is there a, or is there a skip in there somewhere? I, I, I want to say I, Liberty uh, misses somebody. I, I could be wrong. I, I think they missed the original Owen Tangie. I'm pretty right, sure. I mean, they had right. played for many years until... I believe until either 20 or 21. Of course, 20 you can almost throw out because it was the COVID year. Everything was so abbreviated. But I think that might have been the first year uh, in over a decade that they didn't play each other. And I think just because there are four high schools in there, uh, you have two of them in one division of the OCC. You have two in another division. So somebody's going to miss somebody uh, at some point. But um, Olentangy, I'm pretty sure, well, they play Berlin because they're in the same division. I'm pretty sure they play Olentangy Orange as well. One other topic I wanted to touch on with you, Dave, while we have you with us. Uh, it came out, I want to say, maybe a week or so before the high school football season started, maybe uh, a couple of weeks prior to that. Uh, news surrounding the Mid-State League, which is one of the long-standing leagues mm -hmm. in Central Ohio, uh, has been using a three-division setup over the last... I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years uh, when it expanded and brought in some of the suburban Columbus schools, smaller suburban Columbus schools, such as Whitehall Yearling, Bexley, Grandview Heights, uh, the Academy, uh, Columbus School for Girls, and uh, Buckeye Valley, I think, joined a couple of years back. Those schools have announced mm -hmm. they're leaving the Mid-State League, Dave, and going back to reform the old Central Buckeye League. For those of us old enough to remember, with well, the CBL, that, that league in some incarnation has been around for a long time. Is that a surprising yes. move to you at all? It is somewhat, uh, and I have to laugh because you know you talked about Dublin. I mean, Dublin and Marysville and, and like Bexley and some of these schools were all in that old CBL. And that was the first thing I thought of when that was announced, uh, yeah, about a month ago, that uh, some of these MSL Ohio schools were going to head off and join themselves. Now, I guess they must feel or they feel like they must do that, like they can't compete with. I mean, I, Harvest Prep is the school that's the point of contention, and it has been for a long time. And I, I get that a lot of people – uh, don't like, you know, the private school within a largely public school league. I, I get that. It's not like they win every game and every sport all the time. I think these teams can compete with them. They, they must feel that uh, that they don't have a choice but to join their own league. I, I mean, whether that's actually the case or not, I, I'm, I'm really not sure. Uh, then Harvest Prep's going to go down to the Cardinal with a lot of these smaller schools, now to whom to which they're closer in enrollment. But you may very well encounter the same issues there. And, and I, I've – I heard rumors out there that uh, that some of the Cardinal Division schools were almost ready to split off by themselves. So, I mean, the only division that is not touched by this is the Buckeye, and they're going to be touched soon enough, not because of Harvest Prep, because Taze Valley is leaving uh, in two years to join the OCC, as you talked about the, the myriad realignments. But uh, it, it is a shame, and that was a league I covered back in my first job in Lancaster many years ago. It was just two divisions of eight schools in those days, and it has certainly grown. But uh, if these schools feel they must go off and, and – make their own conference, I, I guess we're going to see how that goes. And that's a, a, a unique setup in that league, and you touched on it with Harvest Prep. Uh, when you have Harvest Prep now dropping down into a division that has Millersport, which every year is basically lucky to field a football team because of the lack of numbers mm -hmm. that they have, and some of the Christian schools like Grove City Christian and Fairfield Christian and some of those others, and Burn Union, which is kind of out on an island all by itself down there on Route 33. Uh, th that's going to be an interesting setup when they drop Harvest Prep into that league. So I think you can understand why maybe the, the Cardinal Division schools are thinking – you know what? It might be time to go on our own with this right now. 
Wouldn't be surprising. It really wouldn't. But I mean, so do they go off and join their own A-team league? And then what happens, I guess, to Harvest Prep? Uh, in the meantime, I mean, are they going to move up to the Buckeye and replace Taze Valley or something? I, I mean, it just seems like it's a, a mess that I, I don't know how you solve this, I, except for except for playing each other and, and seeing what happens. And it's funny you mentioned Millersport. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've struggled to field a football team for probably a decade by now. And they're always a district I thought would grow because of the lake out there. The people would be moving out there. But it, it has remained uh, very small over the years. And it, it could be something worth watching over the next three to five years. Uh, what happens with those schools. All right, Davis, we wrap up. Let me get your thoughts on what you've seen through the first three weeks of high school football. Uh, there have been some great games. I think there are some teams around Central Ohio that are positioning themselves to make a deep run when we get towards the postseason. What have you seen so far this year that's impressed you through three games? Well, Pick North Shore impressed me on Friday. Uh, they they beat up Arlington 18-13, to 13, and they needed a big drive at the end of the game to do that. They had a couple of, of really long drives. I should actually say four of them. One was 19 plays. The, the drive that won it was 14 uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, DeWan Green ran for a 228 and uh, the game-winning touchdown. He's going to be a load for anybody to handle, and, and Central certainly knows that uh, coming up on Friday. I mean, they, they've been really impressive. I haven't seen Big Walnut in person, but uh, – it seems to me a lot of people are in agreement that they might be the best all-around team in the area. Uh, Pickerington Central, I'm not nearly willing to write off yet. Uh, they're one and two. They've played one of the toughest schedules in the state. If they win Friday, all of a sudden their their uh, season takes on a different complexion. Frankly, even if they lose Friday, their season is probably going to be fine still. Uh, even though they're one and three, everybody gets in the playoffs in that region. And if you're peaking, you're going to be fine there. Uh Upper Arlington, I think, still has a chance to have a really good year. Uh, they got some kids that got dinged up on Friday, but uh, I think they're going to be fine. And, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention New Albany, which has been steamrolling absolutely everybody uh, at this point. I, I think they've played every second of every second half with a running clock wow. uh, so far. And, uh, you know, they have a very winnable game Friday against Lancaster. Uh, they play Olentangy Liberty, I believe, after that next, and then they go into a very tough league in the OCC Ohio. So I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see them make at least a regional semifinal, if not maybe at some point, depending on how they do against North in Week 9, be the favorite to get out of Region 3. Dave, as always, a pleasure spending time with you. You have the right banner behind you on your wall. Uh, as, as we both know, that's uh, the only team in Ohio that matters this year, and we're uh, uh, and it's good to see that up on your wall. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that you've done that. So. As, I, I'm, I'm glad you're happy, and I'm very excited about what we're going to see starting on Sunday. Let's cross our fingers. Absolutely, because we all know how it's gone in the past. It's, it's, it's had a tendency to go different directions <laughs> in Cincinnati. Dave, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. You got it. Dave Prepera from This Week News visiting with us here on Ohio Football Week. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to go around the state and visit with our friends Todd Walker and Ryan Cavanaugh when we come back and see how things are shaping up in the northwest and in the northeast part of the state. We'll do that for this time out. Ohio Football Weekly continues on Yamo Media. Hello, I am Annie J. Ross Womack, the Executive Director of the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association. And I'm here to talk to the parents and student athletes about a very important topic. The NCAA has instituted different standards for all divisions of student athletes. Before you can play sports in any college or university, you must present a negative trait status or hemoglobin status documentation. Your hemoglobin status is taken at birth with the newborn screening. And what they do is they run your blood for any abnormality or any birth defect. There are thousands of newborn screening birth defects in this country. For more information about sickle cell disease, sickle cell trait testing, you can call our offices at 614-228-0000. 
1-800-273-0157. Or you can visit us via web at ohiosicklecell.org. The Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association, proud to be the presenting sponsor of Ohio Football Weekly. For more information on sickle cell disease and how you can be prepared, visit ohiosicklecell.org. And we thank them for being a, port, uh, uh, a sponsor of our program. We thank them for their partnership with us as well. All right, let's go around the state of Ohio now on Ohio Football Weekly. As we move and look at how things are shaping up through the first three weeks of the season, we go to the northeast part of the state. Much to the uh, delight of our good friend Ryan Cavanaugh, who visits with us right now here on Ohio Football Weekly. Ryan, my friend, always good to see you. Had a chance to see you Saturday night down in Athens for the football game down there. And, uh, let's talk a little high school football now as you were in the MAC on uh, Saturday night. Uh, three weeks into the high school football season, Ryan, what's impressed you in the Cleveland area high school football-wise? Uh, well, it starts with St. Ed's, I think, in Division One. Um, they, you know... It, if, if it goes the way I think, St. Ed's and Moeller will play in the state championship. But they have a junior class, Marty, that they have had their eyes on um, since they were freshmen. And in fact, they, they kept the freshman team, all of that class, and played together as freshmen. Didn't move anybody up to JV so they could uh, you know, get familiar with playing with each other. And from that junior class, they're now juniors, from that class alone, they have three offensive linemen who have power five offers. I'm talking Penn State, Big Ten, Michigan State. Um, and so it's obviously it starts at the offensive line and they've got a lot of skill. But in Division One at St. Ed's, um, you know, Division Three Chardon is 3-0. and They've played uh, teams from out of the state. They have the longest winning streak in the state. Mitch Hewitt back-to-back -back state championships and they are just rolling. And, you know, Mitch Hewitt, he was a Chardon grad himself. He was a runner-up for Mr. Football. He went and played uh, at Bowling Green. And he, it's like he has that same mentality, and the kids have adopted it. You know, he's out there. He gets a lift in. I remember last year, Marty, before the state championship, I talked to Coach Hewitt from Chardon, and he said, um, I said, well, it looks like you haven't been missing the weight room because it never looks like that. I mean, the guy's in tremendous shape. And he said, you know what I have done since it got to the playoffs? I, I started working out at 4.30 in the morning because I was getting too comfortable. And you just, if I ever get too comfortable in life, I have to switch it up. And I hate the mornings, so I'm getting up at 4.30 to work out. Wow. Yeah, well, more power to him. More power to him. I, I see 4.30 in the morning, but it's just to go to work at my other job. That's the only reason I'm seeing 4.30 in the morning. I, I, I can tell you that. The other thing about Mitch Hewitt, and I remember talking to him last year as well too, Ryan. Uh, he's an Urban Meyer disciple, and I don't mean that from – everything else but his mindset he learned under his under his wing you mentioned that he was with him at bowl or played at bowling green and knows coach meyer from the bowling green days and there's a lot of similarities not only in the way that they handle themselves but the way they handle their programs it, absolutely absolutely and he'll tell you that coach mm -hmm. hewitt will tell you that a lot of the things he does he learned from the great urban meyer um and again, yeah, that was at BG. But um, and you you can see it. I mean, and one of the things you get when you be, when you get a program to where Chardon has is complete and total buy-in from your players. Um, and we've seen it. You mentioned the Northeast up here. We, we St. Ed's. I mentioned Kirtland again. When you're playing in the state championship every year, uh, you know you're getting four or five extra weeks, maybe six now, extra weeks of practice that your freshmen and your JV kids. They may not be seeing the field in the playoffs, but they're practicing, and that's like an extra season by the time they become juniors and seniors. So it's not by accident that the same programs that are, have deep playoff runs 
are establishing their younger kids as well. And Ryan, you mentioned the, the name, or you mentioned Kirtland, and Tiger Laverde, we talked about him a couple of weeks back, fastest coach in Ohio history to get to 200 wins in a career. And that's one of the more remarkable things about that part of the state. And not that the other parts of Ohio don't have a, a pretty sizable tree of coaches who have great careers. But you look across Northeast Ohio, and goodness sakes, you can pick just about any school, it seems like. And there's a coach who has either been there for a long, long time or who has put a great program together, and they win on a yearly basis. That's one of the things that makes that part of the state Ryan, and you see this every week, one of the best in Ohio in high school football, isn't it? It's a great point, Marty. There's very little turnover with some of these top programs. You look mm -hmm. at Avon, who's in the state semifinals. Um, you know, they've had Mark Elder, Mike Elder, rather, there. Mark Elder's at, uh, at Moeller. But Mike Elder, he's been at Avon forever. He usually loses in the state semifinals to Tim Terrell at Hoban. <laughs> he's been there forever. Chuck Kyle at St. Ignatius, this is his last year. He's stepping down. So it's a big year for at St. Ignatius because of that. And, you know, it goes it goes on and on. Bob Mahalik at Aurora. Mm -hmm. When you see the public schools that are able to uh, you get back, you know, where you because the, the reality is with public schools, Marty, in my opinion, is that you're going to have down classes. You're going to have some classes where maybe you just don't have the athletes or the linemen or whatever. And that is reflected by your record. But you get a guy like that's why I truly say if you have a public school coach like Tiger or Elder and they Bob Mahalik, Mitch Hewitt, and you don't have any seasons where there's a dip, you have to you have to say that that's coaching and developing players. The, the Tiger Laverty story is, is is so remarkable because number one, the size of that school. I mean, it's a Division Five. Is it? It's Division Five now. Uh, Kirtland is. I think they've edged up to Division they, Five, Six. They moved down to Division Six. They this moved year. back to Division Six this year. Okay. So, but the the sheer yeah. size of that school, and you, you hear this every year because they always seemingly go up against a team from the Midwest Athletic Conference. How the two, the, how Kirtland and those MAC teams kind of look at one another as being mirror images, but separated by about 200 miles of, uh, of the state of Ohio. But, but that mentality there that, that he's instilled in that program, it's really remarkable. And the fact that they go out and, and scrimmage uh, a St. Ed or somebody like that in the offseason is just – it pays huge dividends for that program, doesn't it? Yeah, they, they, play the, they play really good teams. And, frankly, Tiger would do that during the season if he wasn't concerned about his depth mm -hmm. and getting players injured. And, and that's, that's really the reality of those lower divisions. You don't even have enough of the kids in the school and the boys in the school. So even if, like in Kirtland, most of the kids are playing football, you still have some depth issues, especially along the line. Um, but, you know, to your point, when you go back to that COVID year where schedules didn't matter and everybody was going to get in regardless, they played Shaker Heights and they played Solon to Division One teams because, if you remember, it was like, who wants to play this week? Okay, we'll go play. <laughs> Um, and, and they handled both of those teams with ease. So I don't know that there's too many Division I or Division II schools in Northeast Ohio that Kirtland wouldn't beat. And I'm not trying to offend anybody. You know, maybe that's an overstatement. I know a lot of coaches would disagree with me on that. But, I, I, you know, I don't know. And because I, I don't know that there's a lot of teams in Northeast Ohio that Marion Local or Coldwater or whoever is uh, the – the flavor of the month or the flavor of the year in the MAC because you never know who it is. Versailles last year knocked off Kirtland for a state championship, and we saw Fort Recovery the year before win a state championship. And two years before that, Fort Recovery probably had three wins. 
Remember the Delphi St. John's run? Absolutely. Uh, Marty? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, those guys were, they were the best team in the state. And then all of a sudden they're like seventh in the Mac, but they would still win most conferences in the, uh, in the state. Right. I always joke. One other that. team. Yeah, go ahead. No, go, go ahead, Marty. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, it's, I was, it was a different topic. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to say, you and I have uh, worked together so many times, and we always joke when we do a game that involves a Midwest Athletic Conference team, it's in the state bylaws that a team from that league has to play for a state championship. It just seems that way because they're <laughs> always there. And, and I know uh, Kirtland, for example, uh, Tiger Laverde has even mentioned this. They've looked at those schools as kind of a blueprint as to here's how you do it. When you're that small and you find a way to win, you, you instill it and make it work. And he has certainly done that. It's a remarkable story he's had there. Yeah. You know, I, the Tiger thing, I, there was a stat where it was like um, he'd have to have 22 consecutive losing seasons uh, or maybe winless seasons to be 500 uh, in his career. It's something outrageous like that, which – when you, you know, he took over a program that had, I don't know that, that that Kirtland had ever been to the playoffs in school history. So to look at it and say he has 200 wins or 210 wins and only 15 losses, it's really hard to wrap your head around that level of success. Right. And when you hear a name like that, Tiger Laverde, you right away think the guy's probably in his 60s or in his 70s. He's still a relatively young guy who's coaching high school football. So there's a lot of room for wins with that program. Uh, you know, absolutely. So he's... Uh, He's got two boys uh, in the school now. One is uh, a senior linebacker and running back, and the other is like a six foot one and still growing freshman who starts at quarterback. Wow. So it's going to be an interesting year. He's starting his son who's a freshman at quarterback, and, and his son Jake has played very well. Um, so, yeah, but, but you have Marion Local. They, they've moved to Division Six. There's other MAC teams there. Um, Carey, who was very good last year in the smaller schools, is in Division Six. There's going to be a lot of teams that are going to test Kirtland, like they do every year when they get to that level. We mentioned a short time ago when we went around the state some of the notable games, the Ravenna-Kent Roosevelt game, which was played last week, one of the longer-standing rivalries. Ryan, as we wrap it up, maybe take us through the Cleveland area for folks who don't know. What are some of the big rivalries year in and year out in the Cleveland area, high school football-wise? What stands out each year? Yeah, well, Ed's and Ignatius, obviously, is, is a really big one. Um, this week coming up, Avon and Avon Lake mm -hmm. is always, always something you have to have circled. Um, yeah, I mean, those those two stand out. This year, Riverside from, from Painesville is very good. And Riverside and Chardon and Mayfield are all going to play each other in, in weeks coming up. So um, there's a lot of good football. And that's what I was going to say earlier, Marty. I've got the shirt on. It's my Glenville Tar Blooders shirt. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, we we'll see it. The Ville has been chasing. The, yeah, they've been chasing a state championship. Some of the teams that players that Ted Ginn has had, including his son, Ted Jr., more. You know, there's that have rolled through there. They've been unable to do it. They are now in Division Four, Marty. And I think they're the favorite to win that with the team that they have at Glenville this year. We were talking about them a short time ago. The last two weeks, so they've been tested. They won each of their last two games by a touchdown each. So, uh, But, it, yeah, no question, one of the more talented programs in that part of the state of Ohio. Ryan, where are you Friday night, if anywhere? Um, you know you broke up, but if you're asking me where I'm going to be Friday night, it's uh, Copley and Aurora. Should be a good one. Should be a good one. Ryan Cavanaugh from Spectrum Sports does a great job covering high school football and college football as well. We'll see you in December up in Canton for the state championships, my friend. Always good to see you.
Ryan Cavanaugh visiting with us from Spectrum Sports here on Ohio Football Weekly. And, and, and he, he brought some great points about when you talk about the great coaches around that part of the state of Ohio. Uh, th that's a, a big reason why uh, that is such a, a factor in, in what those programs do in that part of the state. All right, let's continue along and move to the northwest part of the state, but a little closer to the central Ohio region, and that would be the Lima area. And visiting with us right now on Ohio Football Weekly, he's the longtime play-by-play -play voice of your Bowling Green Falcons and also the sports and news director and, well, really in charge of just about everything at iHeartRadio and Lima. Uh, the voice of the BG Falcons, Todd Walker, visiting with us tonight. Todd, before we talk high school football, I, I got to ask you, were there 24,000 people in the Rose Bowl last Saturday when BG played out there against UCLA? No, I think there's more people on my screen right now than there were <laughs> at the Rose Bowl. But, yeah, I, I, I tell you what, the people that did come and just sat there for more than 20 minutes, I mean, they had to be baking. Now, figure this. That kicked at 1130 local time, okay? Wow. So the sun's at its very apex. There's no shade at the Rose Bowl. I mean, there's no upper deck. There's right. no, you know, none of that. So you're just out there baking. I, you know, I, I'm surprised, frankly, they got quite that many people. Uh, UCLA's campus is an hour away. Mm -hmm. They aren't even in session yet. All they're talking about with UCLA is how bad their schedule is as they play Alabama State after Bowling Green. So there's, there's no juice about their preseason schedule. So, frankly, I think there were more BG fans there than there were Bruin fans. Uh, but it's a great trip, though. The Rose Bowl is, is someplace pretty special to, to see a game at and call a game at. I know I knew you had a chance to, to enjoy it. Yeah, you can go see a Dodger game, too, right, on, on Friday night? Yeah, we squeezed it in. We got in just in time <laughs> to see the Dodgers Friday night. Uh, they booed Manny Machado lustily, as they enjoy doing. <laughs> and he had a two-run homer and made a backhanded play behind third and threw a guy out. So it was good fun, even though the Dodgers lost. Uh, that, was a, that was a bucket list thing for me to – get to a game at Dodger Stadium and call the game at the Rose Bowl, although I did mm -hmm. go to the Rose Bowl back in 97 uh, working for WIMA, but uh, it's the first time I got to call a game there. All right, let's talk a little high school football in the Lima area. And you have a chance to call high school football on Fridays when your schedule allows you to, uh, being very busy, as I mentioned, as the play-by-play -play voice of the Bowling Green Falcons. Through three weeks into the season, Todd, give me an update. What has stood out in the Lima area as far as high school football? Who are some of the better teams to keep an eye on there? Well, if you want to start uh, with the MAC, of course, you guys were just talking about that a little bit. Uh, Marion Local, Coldwater, uh, stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, <laughs> they look pretty good. Uh, it's interesting you guys were mentioning Kirtland playing up. Uh, of course, Marion, for the second straight year, played Wapakoneta in their opener and beat them again. And Wapak's a very good Division Three program, so... Uh, Marion is going to be in the picture again. They're in D6, as you guys uh, talked about. Coldwater looks like they've reloaded. They'll be in Division 5, which is a tougher playoff road. Mm -hmm. And then Versailles, who won it in 6 last year, looks to be very good again. They're out of the gate 3-0. and And I think the, the next team in that mix is probably New Bremen, and they're in D7. So they're that school you were talking about, Marty, that it seems like they have to have a team in the state championship game I think this year's D7 uh, representative from the MAC would, would be uh, New Bremen. So uh, those four teams will figure in the mix in the MAC. Uh, if you slip to some of the other small school, small school conferences, uh, I'm not sure there's a real standout team. Uh, in the Northwest Conference, Columbus Grove has ruled the roost the last several years. It looks like they've taken a bit of a step back. 
Uh, you know, the BBC is undergoing some upheaval with teams leaving or planning to leave. It uh, looks like Liberty Benton, Pandora Gilboa, Arlington will probably be in the mix there. And then the WBL is uh, maybe the, the most well-known conference in the Lima area. It uh, looks like it's Van Wert. I mean, they are loaded again. Aiden Pratt, a quarterback, uh, they throw the ball all over the place. Huge early season game for them Friday night at Wapakoneta. Uh, Wapak has bounced back with two wins since losing to Marion Local, but do they have struggled to move the ball and score the ball, whereas Van Wert runs up and down the field. So that'll be an interesting contrast Friday night with Van Wert at Wapak. But those are the teams that have stuck out so far in our area. And Todd, when I was in that area a couple of years back, I had a chance to call the Van Wert game at Wapak at Wapakoneta. And that Van Wert team, I mean, that was a very athletic team that just, as you mentioned, loved to get up and down the field. It was Ryan Treese, was it not the quarterback? Uh, that it was it Van Wert? Am I am I getting the name right? Um, a yeah, couple of years Treat, back, Treat yeah. was the last name. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. he was just phenomenal. And their offense, I mean, it was just uh, it was a breakneck pace, and they made no bones about it what they were going to do. Still running the same style uh, from the sound of things. Uh, they're they're a handful again this year, Todd. Yeah, and I think actually uh, last year's team and this year's team is more explosive than the one that wow. Treat's quarterback to a state championship. I don't know that they're as good in all the other areas as that team that won the title, but they are formidable. You know, and doing college football, I've seen a lot of hurry-up offense. And you know, in Bowling Green, when Dino Babers was here, they prided themselves on Falcon fast. And I've never seen an offense get snaps off as quickly as Van Wert. I mean, they run that system very, very well. They're loaded with athletes. They are tough to handle. I think they're the team to beat in the Western Buckeye League, and uh, this Friday night could be the first real sign that that is the case. And, and that says a lot because, as you touched on a short time ago, that WBL, uh, Wabakoneta, Van Wert, uh, Salina's been good for years, St. Mary's is always a handful, Lima Shawnee, and let's not forget Ottawa Glendorf. I mean, there are some real high-caliber programs in that league, aren't they? For that league, what, 10 schools, the way they beat up on each other every year, it, that, 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 that's a tough go if you win that league. Yeah, I, I've always said the Western Buckeye League is, is a coach's league. And there have been great coaches in this league forever. Ken Schreiner, an OG, uh, has turned that into a perennial winning program. You had Doug Fry, who recently retired. His son, Bo, took over at St. Mary's. And Doug also had a great run at Wapakoneta in between stays at St. Mary's. And uh, the WBL's always had a lot of great coaches. Jerry Cooper's at Shawnee now. And is just loaded with guys that, just love coaching football and uh, you know Keith Recker a Delphi St. John's grad was tasked with getting Van Wert back to the top of the WBL it took them a little while but he's got them now on a three or four year run of being the best or one of the best in the Western Buckeye League and last year they actually won the WBL for the first time since 1987 uh, people may not realize the the year they won the state championship, there was no Western Buckeye League title awarded because of the COVID-shortened schedule. So this past year, when they shared the crown with Wapakoneta, was their first league crown since 1987. So that was a big moment for the proud Cougars program as they're about to also renovate their ancient stadium in Van Wert. Eggers Stadium is about to get a facelift and some real improvements, which will be great for their program as well. 
Todd, in our remaining moments, you, you mentioned some of the shifting of leagues that's going on in that part of the state. And one program that has struggled for years to find a, a solid home league-wise is perhaps the biggest school in the area, and that's Lima Senior, which uh, has for years uh, tried to find a home. There was uh, the Three Rivers Conference. There were so many other leagues that uh, they, they tried to, to stay a part of. And, and I know there are a lot of changes coming in that part of the state. W what happens to Lima Senior? What's their future? Well, the Three Rivers Athletic Conference is imploding. Uh, this is the last year it'll be together. That's basically the Toledo Catholic Schools plus Whitmer and Finley and Lima Senior and Fremont Ross. That league is going away. Uh, everybody found a home right away except Lima Senior. You know, following a, a long tradition of being kicked out of leagues. You know, they were in the Greater Ohio League back in the day with the Springfields and Portsmouth and Lancasters of the world. Then they were in the Greater Miami Conference with Princeton and Middletown and Lakota and all that, they told Lima to get lost. They were in the Greater Buckeye Conference. Uh, that just sort of crumbled. They went to the Three Rivers Athletic Conference. Now they're going to be in the Toledo City League, believe it or not. They are going to be members with the Toledo City League schools. Wow. Because, as you mentioned, Lima Central Catholic's in the same boat, Marty. Both the Lima teams really have no conference home, traditionally. So Lima Senior has decided to jump in the Toledo City Athletic League. And as you know, for football, it is a rough life if you're an independent. And Lima Central Catholic has that this year. They play all over the state of Ohio and some games in Indiana just to fill their schedule. So Lima Senior is going to be in that Toledo City Athletic League. And uh, they played Bowser and Rogers to start the year in non-conference play and beat both of them pretty handily. So we'll see if Lima Senior maybe elevates that league a little bit, or if they just dominate in football. Of course, the real interesting thing will be the basketball dynamic, where Lima right. Senior has been much more of a power over the last 15 or 20 years than in football. Todd, as we wrap things up, where are you Friday night? What game do you get a chance to call? We have Bath at Elida, one of the Lima rivalries, the crosstown rivals in the Western Buckeye League, and we will have that game on WIMA, and then on our FM station, 107.5, the Big Buck, they do all the WAPA Kinetta games. So we'll have that one with Wapak and Van Wert on our sister station. So a double header action there, a double barrel, I guess you'd say. One of the best in the business, Todd Walker, the play-by-play -play voice of the Bowling Green Falcons and the news and sports director at WIMA 1150 in Lima, Ohio. Always good to see you. I appreciate your time. I'm glad you got a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, having been there twice, it's a special, special trip, and it's one to be remembered. I'm glad you had a chance to go out there last weekend, Todd. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks very much. Thanks, Marty. Good to see you. Todd Walker. Visiting with us and talking a little Northwest Ohio football. Well, that will do it for tonight's edition of Ohio Football Weekly. As we uh, wrap things up, I want to give you an update on our poll we had put up. Ohio Football Weekly, we're asking you, should high school student athletes in the state of Ohio be allowed to benefit from name, image, and likeness? You still have about 36 minutes to vote in that poll. And right now, no, it's not a good idea. It has the lead over, yes, other states are doing it, so why not? So if you get a chance to vote on that, please do so. We'll give you the results of that poll when we visit with you next week, which will be at 6.30 next Wednesday. As we look ahead, believe it or not, to the halfway point of the high school football regular season. Yes, week number five next Friday night. Adam Dell is our producer. Great job as always. I'm Marty Bannister for Joe Idle, Dave Papura, 
Ryan Cavanaugh and Todd Walker. Thank all of them for being with us tonight. Thank you for being with us. And again, don't forget, go to all the uh, social media sites to find our program. Instagram and Twitter, we're at Yamo Media, Y-A-M-O Media. TikTok, we're at Yamo On Air. Facebook, Yamo Media 614. And on YouTube, Yamo Media Columbus. Ohio Football Weekly, we're back with you next week at 6.30, live on Facebook, right here as we talk high school football across the great state of Ohio. So long, everybody. <laughs>